What's up, everybody? Peace. Uh, just heads up. There may be some strong language in this episode. Ooh. <laughs> some bad words. <laughs> they don't want the kid from Superbad making, like, the skateboarding and hip-hop movie. And I get it, bro. Like, I get it. I would roll my eyes, like, so bad they'd roll back in my head and I'd see the back of my skull. <laughs> Hey, party people in the place of B, 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 B. My ah, name is Stretch Armstrong. Word up. This is Bobby Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. I'm going to give him a mid-90s. Yo, 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 yo. Yes! Had to bring it back. Yes! Had to bring it back. <laughs> yes! You know why? Because on today's What's Good episode, and this that's the podcast you're listening to, we have a guest who directed a film titled Mid-90s, Stretch. And we are in a mid-90s state of mind, joined shortly by our boy, Jonah Hill. I've never met him. I know you've had some some uh, some run-ins with him on the street. And he's been living in New York, apparently, for the last five, six years, so I have seen him around. Incred- you know, the more guests that we have that you have hung out with randomly, the more I realize him, my that life. You don't get out enough. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like... It's like once again, Stretch has hung out with this, this guest. It's funny because when I met Jonah, we met because he heard me talking. And then he turned and was like, Stretch? And and so when he says he was a listener of our radio show in the 90s, despite living in Los Angeles, I knew he was telling the truth. Right, it's authentic. Yeah. And, and as is his film, Mid-90s, complete authenticity with regards to the treatment of hip-hop culture. And skate culture. I went to the film with my boy, Curtis Kulig, who's... Oh, like the artist. That's right, but he's yeah. got a like a deep history in skating. Did not know uh, that. He just like was looking at me through the film like, yo, nailing it. Yeah. Right? I know mm-hmm. like for us, like any anytime we watch something that has hip-hop in it, like we're very sensitive to, sure. to how it's treated, how, sure. you know, if it's done with the right, right amount of... Uh, you know, research and reverence. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so on the skating front, I know he nailed it in terms of the soundtrack, which is, you know, deeply hip-hop oriented. It was spot on. Yeah, and, um, jo- Jonah crushed it as a music supervisor, crushed it as a director, crushed it as a writer. He has been crushing it for 16 plus years as an actor. This dude is super bad, yo. And uh, he's a real cool brother, man, so don't go nowhere. Check it out. Jonah Hill coming up next. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars in used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at SierraNevada.com. Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face. And now... What's good with Stretch and Bobito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. And now, and now. Yo, I'm just hyped. I've been on like such a crazy press tour, but like, like for real, I've I, I, I've met Stretch before. I've never met you, but yeah. I, I'm a huge, 
huge fan. I, I don't know if you saw the film, but he saw the film. But I in, peeped it. In the it. opening, like, literally those are real stretching Bob tapes that, like, we used to get sent from New York when I was in L.A. from my Uncle Nick. Shout out my Uncle Nick. Like, I'm a true, true fan. So your tapes included our wild and crazy live phone call section. Yes. I would get the tapes from the Ghetto Blaster from my Uncle Nick in New York and because we couldn't get it out in LA. No doubt. You know? And to me, it was like I would wait. You're a kid. You don't get mail. You don't get packages. It's not like, <laughs> you know, like it was what I looked forward to. It's like when you order something now off the internet and you're hyped about it coming. But back in the day, it was so much better because it was like, I didn't know when it was coming. I didn't know. So I checked the mail like, fuck, no tape. Fuck, often, no tape. How often would they come? Like, and it wouldn't be consistent because he was also a, a teenager. So it's right, like, right, right. he'd be lazy <laughs> as fuck. And he grew up out here in the city. And so he, like, I would get it, like, probably every, like, two, three months. And there'd be, like, a package of, like, 10 tapes? Yeah, it would just be, like, whatever Amazing. he whatever he could put together in his free time. And, and That's called proper uncling. I, I just want to officially say, I was at the press screening mm. for mid-90s. And it was like, you know, it's like, theater of like 60 journalists they got their notebooks out whatever do 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 you know yeah stretch had already hit me that you know our tapes of our 90s radio oh, show oh wait 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 let me in- interject though cuz oh. my man at A24 was like there's a something involving you and Bob that made the film and then it got cut out but i think it's back in now i put it back in so yeah. i was like yo bob we're in Jonah Hill's new film <laughs> bob goes who's playing us <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, 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 it's no, like, it's like, like, who's portraying us? That's not like, so not like who's sick. Playing us out, like, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, For a second, I was like, yo, that'd like, be dope. I, I, I need that kind of confidence, dude. <laughs> that's so sick. So I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, word! Like the nuance was just so lovely, like the buildup and the, and the opening title sequence, and I'm like, word, all right? And then all of a sudden. I see like 30 stretching Bobito, WKCR 89.9 FM radio recordings, like neatly stacked. And, and I had a hearty guffaw. <laughs> yeah, like, I, like, I was like, ah! <laughs> 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 like, yo, nobody else in the theater is laughing. I'm like, the only one that caught it, you got me on that. I was like, you know, it's it worked. Whatever, whatever you did to, if, if that was a, a, a play to authenticate you know, who you are and your positioning in the 90s, definitely, it's been like a stamp almost, you know, for, for it's people. It's a touchstone. That, yeah. With skating and with hip hop, it's important to do it correctly. 20 years from now, I know I showed respect and I did something that was important for me to do. And people hate on everything and that's life, bro. But like, I stand by what I did. Yeah. All the OGs that have seen it in rap or skateboarding are like, cosign. They're just like, dude, thanks. Yeah. And I'm not, they don't want the kid from Superbad making like the skateboarding and hip hop movie. And I get it, bro. Like, I get it. I would roll my eyes like so bad they'd roll back in my head and I'd see the back of my skull. But like, you know, like I'm not an authority, I'm a fan. So like for me to get to even chop it up with you guys means I made something worthy of talking to you guys, you know? So with mid 90s, you're the writer, you're the director, music supervisor. What pushback were you getting from the studio? With a studio, you got people in marketing that have a, have a uh, say. You have people in sales that have a say. People in distribution. You know, you have all these cooks and chefs in the kitchen. Right. Well, for me, 
I want to be a writer director my whole life. I accidentally fell into this amazing 16 year acting career. Right? Oh, work. <laughs> so I just want to be a writer and director. And I took an acting class to learn how to talk to actors. And I was so insecure and teachers were never nice to me. They were like, you're such a great actor. I was like, okay. And 16 years later, I'm making my first movie. Like, <laughs> so I just went on like the inse- whatever filled the hole of insecurity, I went down that road. So with the studio and shit, this movie's a lot easier if I play some older dude in it and the kids from Stranger Things are the actors as opposed to real skateboarders, right? Yeah, so yeah. for me, I had been allowed because of my privilege to go, yo, I'm not casting Disney actors. I'm casting skateboarders. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm, not, I'm shooting on Super 16. I'm shooting four by three. This is my vision for the film. Mm. Um, and... And I had people really protecting me. A24 is really dope. Ken Cow, one of the producers, Scott Rudin, Eli Bush, the producers, like people had my back, but because I was willing to walk away, I had waited so long to direct. If I did it, it was going to be something that meant something to me. So for me, I was willing to walk away if this got corrupted in any way, because A, I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me by skateboarders and B, I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me by hip hop heads and C, I'm going to beat the shit out of myself because I didn't respect myself. So... I just fought for four years, and this is my heart. Along the filmmaking piece, the other question I had was, you know, you've also acted in films directed by the Coen brothers and Martin Scorsese and all these, like, you know, luminaries in the field. What departures did you take? What rules did you break in making mid-90s? What, what, what were the moments where you were like, yo, F the regulations of, of the structure of how I'm supposed to make this film, like, well, one thing was, you guys know, especially in hip hop too, it's like homophobic language, misogyny, you know, how these kids speak to each other and about each other. Mm-hmm. I made a really conscious choice. I felt it was more fucked up to make a revisionist history than to show how ugly it was, how people spoke to each other. Mm. So that's something, again, that I made a hard choice that like I even yeah. could have, you know, been like, wow, I don't even want to deal with this. But in my mind, it was more respectful to show how horrible it was, how we spoke to one another and how people spoke at that time and treated women at that time. So for me, that's that's a choice that, you know, if this was at a major studio, they'd be like, yo, leave that out. We don't even want to invite that in. And to me, the only people who have hated on it, it's because of that. But they don't understand that my point is showing it is the point. Showing it is as honest and as hard to watch as it is, is the point I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. Another thing is um, sexuality is currency. You know, the kid has his first sexual experience and he's shaking because he's nervous and he's not enjoying it. It's not about joyous connection. He only smiles and is happy when he realizes it gets him props in his group of friends and he raises up through the animal kingdom, right? <laughs> and so for me... That, but that's real shit that like I had observed and had to unlearn. It is, you know, hard to watch at times. And people confuse an artist putting shit out honestly in a time period to them supporting it. You acknowledge that as as a well-known actor, you have a, a certain privilege, right? Like you could sort of just pick any project. Just curious if, if, if that uh, invited a certain amount of scrutiny that was, you know, weighing on you perhaps. Coming in as an actor that's well-known, people have all sorts of conceptions about me. Kind of like, hey, he's this comedian, he's this kid, he's foul-mouthed, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I get it, bro. Like, I totally get it. 
I could have done the same movie over and over and I started to do dramatic movies. People were hating on me for that. Then I get like success in that arena and then I'm like, I'm gonna be a director. And now people are like, another fucking actor trying to be a director, bro. <laughs> it's like, stay in your lane, G, stay in your lane, you know? And then I like make a movie that reflects a time period accurately and the people that hate are like, Hill gets such delight out of these misogynistic scenes and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, I'm not gonna apologize for what I wanna create, who I am. I don't want more respect. I don't want less respect. I just want to be treated like an equal, like I treat everybody else like an equal, you know? So let's let's go back to uh, that opening scene where you see the image of the, the most glorious shot image, of the film. The height, it's the it's the <laughs> apex of the film. The tour de force yeah. of the stretch of Bob tapes. <laughs> At two minutes in. No, but Sonny is, uh, he's surreptitiously uh, trying to get his fingers on his older brother's tapes. So I'm just wondering if there's an autobiographical aspect to, to Sonny and, and his discovery of music and, and things that, that will eventually become a, a huge part of his identity. For sure. I mean, the movie's not like a biopic. It's not like walk my walk the line where it's like me just making a movie. It's like a, a story I created and characters I created, but it's autobiographical in the sense, only the sense of that it's personal. Like I connected to the loneliness of being that age and finding a group of people, right? And I connected to skateboarding and hip hop. And for me, the part that is personal is like my older brother, he, he passed away in December and he's a, you know, I miss him very much, but he... I would go in his room to see what was up. Like that was your education. Before I found skateboarders who showed me what was up, like, yeah, I would just write down the CDs he had. I would write down (laughs) the Jordans that he had. I would try and just take inventory of like what was up. And it completely shaped because actually for me, the first records I got were from him. And it was right before Farside and Hyro and Souls of Mischief and all that. So the kind of arty rap, was more like native tongues east coast so he was super east coast like super super east coast like what was cool about skate culture for me and when i got in that world it was right when souls of mischief and far side came out and the west coast had artier weirder shit that was really big like when far side hit it was like everything it was like things shifted (laughs) for like young weirdos on the West Coast <laughs> in the rap. You know what I'm saying? Like you felt like, like Fat Lip is OG. I, I, he came in the premiere and it was like, I met Fat Lip and I was like, yo, you're kind of OG talking about your feelings in rap. You know, like the first, like Bizarre Ride 2 is like, he kind of talks about being a nerd. He kind of talks about not getting girls. He kind of mm-hmm. talks about like being made fun of. And then What's Up Fat Lip is like, I think a really OG, like vulnerable. He's so vulnerable in that song. And I think that is now hip hop in a lot of ways, like Drake, a lot of the like SoundCloud, it's like mad emo. But I think Fatley was kind of the first dude to kind of go there and break that wall of and, like, I'm the shit. You and know? big, I mean, Passing Me By is a, I mean, that's just a massive record, right? You could play that anywhere and people lose it. 93 Till Infinity and Passing Me By to me represent my youth. Like that's when I think about walking around, listening to music, skating around poorly, <laughs> not as a good skateboarder, as an athletic <laughs> skateboarder. Um, that's what I think about is those two songs I think the most represent being 14, skating in LA at that time, you know? So because it's not your biopic, but there are elements of your life that are represented in mid 90s, I mean, your brother's not with us anymore uh-huh. to have watched the premiere, but 
was there a conversation like, hey, like people may see this film and connect it to our relationship. Please be aware of that. Or, you know, did you share the script with him? Did he co-sign it? You know, my brother may, he rest in peace. Like my family, they are very supportive of me being an artist, mm -hmm. right? I said to them, it's personal in the sense that I felt lonely and alone and needed to find connection outside of my house, right? But that's not my brother. That's not my mom. My dad and sister, there's no dad, there's no sister. Yeah. Oh. You know, my parents are married, right? So it's more just like characters I wanted to create, things that I noticed about people growing up, feelings about growing up. So it wasn't as delicate. I think they were more sad to see how I felt growing up. I think for them, it was it was hard to see that I felt bad because they were just sad. They don't want their kid to feel bad sure, or whatever, sure. you know? So, you know, the best version of ourselves, you 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 pour your heart out and you you know you did that and you don't give a fuck. As a human being, we're all human. We all have egos. We're all sensitive. Yeah. And you sometimes do that. Like with this film, it is very vulnerable to put it out into the world because, man, it's like having sending my kid to school for the first time. Like, is he going to get the shit kicked out of him? Is he going to get pants? Like, or is he going to get, is he going to have a group of friends? Are people going to support him? You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's vulnerable in that way. But you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. No like have it, after having done this, I realize if I'm lucky enough, I'm going to make things from my heart and I I hope I get to. So were you the, t the type of kid that was, I mean, were you like a people pleaser? Like you were trying to make your parents think that you were happy, adjusted, I'm all good? Yeah, being funny for me was definitely a mechanism of like, I'm okay. It was like, don't beat the shit out of me. I'm okay. Um, you can't hurt me because I'm funny and I'll hurt you. And there's a mean element to it, a defensive element to it. And these are things I want to explore further if I get to make more films, you know, because, um, yeah, I felt like shit and I felt like I didn't deserve anything and I beat myself up and other people. And then I became a well-known actor and people are like, look at this fat clown from Superbad, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I'm not complaining. I have a privileged life. I'm a fucking white, straight male movie star. <laughs> like, I get it. People can hate on me all day, but... I'm still a human being and I still didn't have the value, even the baseline value for myself because anytime I'd put myself out in the world, people would just kind of like make fun of me and shit. I used to have to put myself down also like because I'd be like, yo, if, if I don't put myself down, they're going to think I'm a jerk because I'm in movies. And then you go home and you're like, damn, I feel how I just talked about myself. That's how actually how I feel. And that's not good either. You know, it's just a baseline of like, Accepting a compliment, being an adult, and just like being cool with who you are, knowing who you are. And when people say crazy shit about you or to you, you got to try your best to just maintain that level of respect for yourself. Yo, Curveball, so what was the first- Curveball, your mom's so fat. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the first, what was the first- Hey, Jonah, slip on this banana peel, Curveball. <laughs> what was the first hip-hop jam you ever- went to I'm trying to think of the first concert i went to it was that good Yo, <laughs> you know what it, you know what it was because it was the reason why it wasn't as memorable to me it was ll right oh, it was ll and it LL was ll cool j is hard, hard as hell because i because radio is one of my favorite songs right 
and it was in escape videos. That's how I, I knew radio because it wasn't the time period where I would know old LL. So it was more like sexy LL. So the concert was like way more sexy than like rock the bells and radio. And I was like, that's why I'm like, it was a little odd because it was like him with his shirt off and shit. And it was me and all like, because I had just heard radio in a skate video called Mouse, right? So Spike Jones made a skate video called Mouse. And, and one of the best parts is, you know, this rest in peace skater Keenan Milton skates to radio, right? And I heard the song and I bugged out. And I was like, this is one of the illest songs I've ever heard in my life. And I was like, oh my God, I saw him in the LA Weekly, like, like skating. I was like, LA, LA Cool J is playing. And I got there. I was like one of the only dudes there. And it was like, <laughs> I was like 12 or 13 and it was mad sexual. And I was like, I did not hear radio. I did not hear Rock the Bells. It was like I him licking those. his lips and shit. Yeah. And I was like, no, it was after. It was like, Mama said, knock you out. But, then, oh, okay, but yeah. I was into that song, of course. But then it was like, got mad sexy. And yeah. I was like, yo. Pink cookies in a plastic bag. <laughs> Getting crushed by buildings. So, I don't yo, know, that's he, why it's kind of a. I'm he glad did you used to lip, lip, lick his lips. I forgot. Dude, about he that. was licking his lips the, the majority of the concert. Dude, because my friend and I were like, "Yo, does he need like chapstick or something like that?" Like, I did a private party and LL was the performer. It was for Motorola in, in LA, <laughs> and this dude came out. He was so diesel Jacked, buff, yeah. and he, I swear, like someone covered his body in oil. Yo, they really did. It was crazy, and he was licking the lips. I don't know if this is really gonna make the cut. I don't well, think so. I, but it is. It is interesting for my because the reason why I wasn't as like I remember the alcoholics. That was my next show. Was the licks, was the licks right. after? So. Yo, like I saw the licks exhibit came out. This is like I was mad young. That's what I consider like my first where I was like turned up. I was like going crazy. I was like 12 or 13. They're spraying beer on us. I think it was my first taste of beer was because like was like at a, I'm not kidding. I think my first my first drop of beer was when Tash like opened a, shook up a beer and opened it onto like my face in the crowd. And I love you. Got to script that. That's, yeah, that's but that's that's what it was film. like. That. No, that's what it was like because. In LA, you could smoke weed way before you could drink because there was no way they were super strict about alcohol. So we'd always be smoking weed, but we were never drunk uh -huh. until later, until it was like <laughs> you figure out how to get alcohol. And I remember so, like, it was like a cartoon. I was at the Licks concert going crazy. I shoved my way to the front because I was really little, right? And, and I get to the front, and Tash just shakes up a Corona and blasts that shit in my face. And I was like, this is the coolest moment of my entire life. You were like, LL who? Yeah. I was like, this is home. I was like, you know, that feeling of like, and they were just so dope. The Alcoholics are a great West Coast group that was like, loud. and you would see them, they would always play around LA constantly, small venues. It was so fun. So fun. Yeah, we, we showed them a lot of love. Uh, so, I mean, at any point were you like, especially when you were younger and insecure and, 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 and lonely and, and everything that you just described, did you ever look at hip hop as something that maybe you could not just be a fan of, but oh, actually do and be like, yeah, I'm going to show people. You want to know? I, because I, I got to be honest. I, I said this on The Breakfast We've Club. all been there. We've we've done it. Well, you guys did it. You oh, literally did no, it. No, 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 we, no. No, 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 no. I mean, I'm talking about like, all right, I had a birthday party. You made beats, right? My 35th. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, to a degree, my 35th birthday party, a friend from high school who I almost never see, he shows up and he hands me an envelope. It's like, just put this in a safe place. I look at it when I get home, and it's a DVD, and it says, we are going to die for this. And it's a video on the DVD of 
of a rap song we made in 1989. And you're MC and it's a video. or you're a DJ? We, I, I made the beat and the three of us are rapping. On it. And, and through the 90s, you know, when I'm on the radio and my profile is increasing, I'm like, wow, I really, don't, I, this don't can't get this out. out. <laughs> this, will, this, will ruin, this will ruin my life. So all credibility will go down the toilet in, in about 30 seconds. You can't seconds. live your life like that. So anyway. That's the point of life, though. That story perfectly encompasses what I think about life, which is you can't be scared of that coming out. It doesn't shake who you are or what you built. <laughs> and our generation, our generation is all about not selling out. It's corny to like do anything that's not like super true, true, true. With working with this younger generation, it's amazing to see how they don't think that way. They look at the OGs and they're like, they're not even rich. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm like, yeah, but they have the most credibility. And they're yeah. like, so? You know what I mean? They're like, they're hyped Migos this is on a song with Katy Perry because that means Migos is richer and blows up more, right? You know? So I was like, whoa, Migos, when we were shooting, Migos came on a, on a Perry, Katy Perry song. And I'm like, yo, I'm like, isn't that fucking whack? And they're like, no, so what? Like, good for them. And I'm like, man, we were very different. You know, yeah. like it was very different. So like, but what, to answer your question, I did talk about this on The Breakfast Club, but I did, I made it. I spent years making beats in my room, going to Fat Beats. Shout out Fat Beats. Or like they just I, opened up their store again in Los they Angeles. They reopened, yeah. That makes me so I spent yeah. so after skating when I realized I just sucked so badly. I was DJing, I was making beats, I would DJ parties, I Word. would yeah. What was and your I, DJ name? Well that's the that's the problem. What? Spindrome. Like syndrome, <laughs> dude. It's not that bad. It's pretty bad, bro. Ah, spindrome. Come on, pun, pun and then, names. And then, re, and then, yeah, and then realize R E A L, and then eyes. eyes. Come on, dude. Like I was so serious, like trying to be so dramatic. You needed about a partner name, recognize. Right? Yeah. You recognize but but you know what the best feeling for me was? So I had an NPC, and I would just like spend all you know all my nights just like making beats, listening to records, and what I loved about it was like you'd find a sample, right? And you'd think, oh my God, this is the greatest. I found like, I'm gonna make this beat and it's gonna be like the illest beat ever. And then you realize it's been sampled. I was like, oh, that means I have good taste. You know what I mean? Yeah. So all it just, I was never like, this is what I'm gonna do with my life. <laughs> yeah. and, but it was cool when you would find something on your own and be like, oh, someone I actually respect already sampled this. That means I have a good ear. So that was a cool thing to look back on. You didn't foresee making beats becoming your profession, but you did music supervise mid-90s. There were nuances in the music supervision that I know, similar to the tapes coming on screen and me laughing out loud, I know that 99% of the people in that room would not have a clue of the echo out or the 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 reverb slap or the blend or or that was the, the night everything changed the way the, the way comes in. the way it edits the, the way you looped a certain intro it was like it was all it was flawless dude that is the best compliment and that observation truly means a lot to me because i treat it as a dj i was like i'm the dj of this movie Word. so whether i'm i'm taking intros and, and and adding things to them or blending Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score into the far side. Yep. Those blends to me are so part of it. I am trying to present something to an to a group of people that would never be interested in it. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And that's important to me. So I'm not some sort of dude who's going around like, I'm a I'm an authority or I'm like the voice. It's just like people are interested in my film that are like an older straighter more like 
whatever generation. I just have access to it. So I'd rather present the palette in an honorable way. Hip hop is notoriously difficult to license because of samples, unresolved yeah. Uh, yeah, writer disputes samples and whatnot. And samples. Of, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. did you experience any of these challenges? In- yep. You did. I couldn't even finish finish the question. Yo, because in making, even before we started shooting, I go, I'm talking to the financier and stuff, and I'm like playing him the song. All those songs were written, the scenes were written to those songs, every single one. So I walked the financier and the producers through like, this is the song for this scene. This is the song for this scene. And one of our producers like, yo, like, I don't know what, like, like classic hip hop, like 90s hip hop is notoriously impossible to get in movies because you have to pay 40 sample the artists that they sampled. And I go, the movie does not exist without this. Mm. There isn't one without the other. So we really worked hard ahead of time with very little money. And what really helped us, I got to give a major shout out to my friend and one of my heroes, Q-Tip, because I knew that he was going to give us a song. And if he co-signed it, and Tribe co-signed it, it really- It's like the domino effect. It is like you you get one and like people show up because they respect him. And so as my friend, him, Frank Ocean and my sister saw the first cut of the movie and I was like, did I fuck up Q-Tip? I basically was like my first question. He's like, you nailed it. And he (laughs) gave me the song and that really, him and Morrissey were the first two. And it was like, if I get them, like other people will show up to the party, you know? and. How'd you get Morrissey so early? I wrote him this letter about what that song represents in my life. And like a lot of kids I grew up skating with were were Latino and so and and Mexican. So like for some reason, this is like a weird thing that like <laughs> Morrissey is massive in the in the Mexican community in LA. Like massive. He's like Michael Jackson or something. Like I don't whatever it is, it's so ill. And so my friends who were Mexican, like their emo music they would listen to was Morrissey. And so I was just trying to, I just picked up from them and learned from them, just wanting to be like your older friends and stuff. And so when I would get like really like sad, I would listen to Morrissey. (laughs) I wrote him this really personal letter and he literally wrote back like, good luck with mid nineties Morrissey. And I was like freaking out just to my producers in A24, like, Morrissey just said mid 90s. This is a thing that I wrote in my room by myself for three years when I was like depressed or whatever, angry. This was my best friend. And Morrissey and Q Tip, no mid 90s is a thing. Morrissey and Q Tip, I got to thank them so much. And then obviously Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross scoring the movie. It just, it helped things along because we didn't have a lot of money, but we did have people believing in it. That means a lot. So uh, mid-90s is, it's a film about, about individuals and, and a story that happens very specific to them as people, but it's also a film about a specific cultural moment, place and time. And I'm just curious, you know, for those that aren't a part of the culture, maybe someone who lives in, say, Idaho, what are you hoping to take away from your film? I was like, it has to be so specifically correct to the subcultures that are portrayed in the film. That's what I care about the most. But at its core, I'm telling a story. That's just a backdrop. And I'm telling a story, a really emotional story about what, how fun and how painful it is to grow up and find your, your tribe, right? And at its core, it's like you can look at any film. You know, you look at uh, uh, Amadeus is one of my favorite movies, right? Like, I don't care about Amadeus. I don't care. I don't care about it. Yeah, and I, I just, I just like, I don't, I don't care about that culture. But the story's so human, you connect to it. 
And to me, I don't want to shove any message down people's throats. I really believe that it's been amazing to watch people who aren't part of hip hop or skate culture really connect emotionally to this film because it's just about growing up. Let's take a quick break and coming back out, we're going to have some real fun. If you think the first part of the interview was fun, you're in for a treat. We'll be right back. Amazing. The following message comes from our sponsor, Capital One. Would you know if someone applied for credit using your social security number? If not, listen to Joe Whitchurch, head of the CreditWise app, talk about the new SSN tracker his team recently released. While identity fraud is something everyone needs to be worried about, we want to make it easy and seamless for them to become aware of anybody attempting to use their identity without their knowledge or permission. CreditWise is free for everyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. You can find CreditWise in your app or Play Store now. Aretha Franklin, The Jackson 5, Al Green, Chaka Khan. Those are just a few of the artists in a new collection of largely unseen photographs from the golden age of soul, R&B, and funk. Stories from the photographer who captured all of them on the latest episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. And we are back with Jonah Hill, and it is time for the impression Wait, I, session. I got to give him a ooh <laughs> Oh. <laughs> My 12-year-old self just did, like, a fucking backflip, dude. I mean, you should, like... You should I, give him a yo, 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 yo. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that, that anymore. One, yo, uh, that one, like, anymore. that one hit... That hit deep, guys. He retired. He retired from yo, yo, yo. All right, I'm, I'm glad the tissues are over here, dude, because uh, that was epic. You're wild. So this, this impression... Sorry, session, I'm actually... That was... <laughs> That was actually really important. Can't tell if he's acting or not. I'm really not, bro. I'm really not. Like, this is the kind of shit you do this shit for. It's amazing. Like, bucket list. What we're going to do right now is play you a track each. Simply want you to react, and that's about it. Just react to the song. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it, brings it, up. It, emotionally, intellectually. Don't get too yeah, emo. I don't like this. Okay. I like it. <laughs> I go in know, that direction. Uh, I go emo, dude. That's just part of who I am. I, I want to apologize first? for it. Whatever. What do you want to do? Uh, Barbecue or boogaloo? I'll go first. Okay. Yeah, I'll go first. This was in the movie and it got cut. You want me to rap? Am I live right now? Yeah. Well, we're not live. You can talk if you want. Wait, wait. Oh, this is the sample. I thought OC was about to come in. <laughs> I was literally about to rap the whole entire OC song. <laughs> I mean, that's that song was in the film that OC times up by OC. And it, the scene got cut, but that was like one of the songs I wrote the movie to. Damn. Dang! Do you know the, the name of the artist for the original? No. So it's Les Demerle, A Day in the Life. It's a cover of a Beatles I record. Have the original and album. OC rhymes over it for the anthem of me and Stretch's eight year radio career. Time's it's, up. It's one of the, the great. Right. I put the song in as respect to you guys and OC, and then oh. the scene got cut. Nah, nah, nah. Come on, chill. For real. Well, it's well the, the doc, it's so heavily featured. It's so, it's so, OC is so connected to you guys in the doc. Like, it's, it's dope. Well, our documentary, Stretching by Beetle Ray That Changed Lives, the opening title sequence is to OC Times Up. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's the one you song. You lack the minerals and vitamins. Iron's and the nice. <laughs> it's so fucking with an IFN. 
So, I just remembered the opening line. I can't. Remember, I was hoping to see it in the film. So but, how come it didn't make it? Dude, it was crazy. We added this whole thing to him falling to like when it's like, and it just was. It ended up breaking the ethic of the film, where it's like that's where skate films go wrong when you try and be like stylized and make it cool as opposed to just show it existing, people not right. landing shit. And so I immediately when I break that ethic, I tear it out of the movie, you know? Mm. But it was just a cool thing to edit because me and my editor had fun because that song has such dramatic, yeah. like you could yeah. just do surprising shit in the edit with it. But it ended up breaking the ethic, so it was ghosted. Inside skating. Yeah. That's, it, that's where we went. Well, it's just like when movies go wrong, like with hip hop, it's like if you make, you put the camera under the board and it's flipping around and look how rad <laughs> these guys are, your movie's trash, you know? <laughs> and so even though it was fun exercise, had to get out. Or mm. Let's go. Son, I think it's time we had a little man, a man talking. I heard that you was hand to hand walking down the boulevard, middle of the date with this black chick. Tell me the truth, boy, or you can catch this Let slap. Let me get quick. this straight. You're ranting and raving, behaving like a mad dog with rabies because my baby's not white. That ain't right. Pops, you got me puzzled because in the past with the black folks, you never Insane. At least This one actually does fuck me up. I know I'm not supposed to get emotional, but... <laughs> When songs like this would come on in the car and people would kind of start to get quiet, like you guys didn't grow up in car culture, but like in LA, like if this came on, it when when there were hip hop songs that were kind of emotional, you know that feeling when you're in a group of people and you listen to music like that, and a song like that comes on that actually is like pretty deep, and it's like that odd kind of quiet where everyone's not talking about it, but you could tell people are thinking. And that's what that song represents to me. Like, you know, just a banger, you know, OC comes on and then it's like that comes on and you're like that overly masculine quiet where people can't talk that they're like actually feeling something. And I remember that brings me really back to growing up, like really deeply. It was like that for us. I mean, you know, a lot of the music that we would play in that studio, I mean, we didn't have car culture, but we were all in Together, this confined right. space as right. if it were a car. No doubt. So true. And we're playing music that's just banging, right? And then I think, of course, that that is The Juggernauts. The record's called Clear Blue Skies. Bob had it before it was on wax. and I was playing it as a demo. We'd, we'd play it, and um, it would just sort of like shut everything down, and everyone would be quiet. I mean, I, I really remember that. And, and then... Q-Tip, who would listen to our show, heard it on the radio and would call up. Casey, y'all live on here. Yo, Tip, man. Yo, what's up, Tip? Yo, Tip. Hey, you on point? Yo, I got a request. What's that, that record about the two dudes who did that record about uh, the black kid dating the white girl? The name of the group is called The Juggernauts. The name of the song is Clear Blue Skies. Yo, you got to play that shit. Bro. All right. Didn't really, didn't know the group. It wasn't, it wasn't on some, yo, that's my man's record. I'm trying to. Big him up. Yeah. yeah. It was like, yo, what is that? It was such a, it's such a different record. And, um. But that's uh, what I mean when hip hop, that moment with your friends, when that comes on, people shut the fuck up because it makes them feel something. And at that time period and being young, overly toxic, masculine people, you're like, you're like, yo, what the fuck? I don't feel anything. You know what I mean? And it's like, like that kind of shit to me are those moments of quiet that are just kind of like you remember them you remember them or at least i do you know and that song puts me like right there you know 
like right in that moment. And it's amazing. I love that shit. Words. That's what's up. Jonah, um, stuff. it's been ridiculously uplifting to build with you and my boy right here. Looking forward to your next film, director or actor. That's what's up. You are the man, B. Yo, this is... Great great sitting with you, man. Yeah, really. it's such a pleasure and truly, in no bullshit way, <laughs> a complete and utter joy and, like, check off my bucket list. Words. So, <laughs> lots of love. Thank you. Peace. That's our show. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lanz, edited by Alexander McCall, Jordana Hochman, and Nigeri Eaton. Our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. And if you Dougie Doug the show, you can hear more at NPR.org, plus bonus video content on Spotify on Fridays. While you're at it, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we know you are listening. And if you want to keep track of us via social media, our Twitter is Stretch and Bob, and our Instagram is Stretch and Bobito. Peace!